You're listening to WCOM LP 103.5 FM Carborough and Chapel Hill. It's a Tuesday, it's five o'clock, and that only means one thing. It's time for another round of Snarky Faith with your host, Stuart Deloney. This is a space where we irreverently wrestle through life, culture, and spirituality, all with our heads in the clouds, our tongues in our cheeks, our hearts in our sleeves, and our feet on the ground. At Snarky Face, the questions or even the answers are never the point. It's all about the conversation. So here's your host, Stuart Deloney. Good afternoon and welcome to another round of Snarky Faith Radio. I'm your host, Stuart Deloney. And I am actually, I'm genuinely excited to be here right now in this moment. Now, I will tell you, like 30 seconds ago, I was not very excited. But once, like once, once I I hit go, once I begin, I'm fine. You ever have that? Like, were you like... You know you like doing something. You know it's going to be a good time. But sometimes you're just, eh, and you just somehow, like, don't want to start. So, is that procrastination? I don't know if it's procrastination or if it's, has, I don't know. It's, it's a tation. It's some sort of a tation. So I, I come to you, yes, on a Tuesday afternoon, hoping that there have not been too many tesitations uh, or tations that have been holding you back. Good Lord, we've already started this off in a weird manner. But I am hoping everyone's doing well. As we are continuing to live life in the center of a pandemic, though, hey, 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 this will date the show, but good news, good news. Uh, as I am recording this, New York City has recorded its first day with no deaths since the beginning of the coronavirus. So, progress, well done, New York. On the other hand, Florida hasn't turned in its homework since last year, and it's not looking pretty. But as we hop into the show today, as we hop in today, I'm, I'm, I'm wanting today to be a, a show that in, well, how about this? <laughs> uh, I can tell you where the show's going to go, but how about this? Let's just do this. Uh, how about the aspirations of the show this week uh, are to be somewhat uh, contemplative. And um, as we're talking through a lot of the topics we're going to be bouncing through. Um, I, I, I'm telling you that I'm doing this as much for my own therapy as I actually think I'm doing it for your therapy. Let's just, let's talk, let's, we'll call this like quarantine therapy day within the universe of snarky faith and the things that we tend to talk about. So, Kind of throwing a broad, a broad, but not too broad, uh, lasso net over our show. I don't really know how I'm going to corral the show, whether a lasso or net is needed. Uh, but, but as we begin, things in COVID, what, what I continue to notice are there's, there's, we kind of have our highs and we have our lows. And, and as most of us are still kind of in this place of saying, like, what's, what's happening next? Is it getting better? Are we trending up? Are we trending down? And, and it, there's a lot of uncertainty. And there's a lot, lot we're having to process through on a daily basis. Uh, I, I just remember um, it was over this past weekend. My family, we were, watching, we were watching a movie. And we all started noting how bizarre it was that no one had masks on. 
No one was social distancing. And, and it's interesting after you've gone through something, how it changes your perspective on the way things were before. So now we're watching stuff. We're kind of going like, oh my goodness, what? He didn't wash his hands. What's happening now? And I'm going to get a little existential, but I think the one thing that, that distinctively makes humans different is our ability to reflect. Now, again, I'm not a biologist. I'm not a zoologist. You may could find animals that can reflect. And Okay, I'm not getting into that. But in general, I, I do find the human species very interesting because of our consciousness, because of our ability to be able to reflect upon where we have been, uh, what we have gone through, and where we are going. So we're able to be able to ponder life in, in the what happened to us before, what is happening to us currently, and what we can kind of assume or think is going to be happening on the trajectory in the future. Okay, that's again contemplation, and and when we uh, when we kind of are in these places when we begin to contemplate, we want to be able to say, hey, like you know, hey, what's like, where am I now? Where have I come from, and where am I going? Right, easy, easy. Those are very simple things about you know who am I. Now, one person I know that does not do this very well is Kanye West. Low hanging fruit, sure. But Kanye has come out saying that God has told him to run for president, which is amazing because Kanye's also said that Trump was like his spiritual daddy, but now he's not so sure, but apparently God has given Kanye clarity, and he feels now it's time. Now, I know you're going to say, hey, he's not the first one to say that God has told him to do something because most of the conservative Christians will say that God told me to run. He did. He told me to run for president. Whether or not that's true, that's just a lie that Christians tell them. I felt it. I felt, I felt it after I ate a chili dog. So it was either indigestion, IBS, or the Lord because that's how it works. And I think that much the same works for Kanye. <laughs> oh, Kanye. But Kanye, we don't have time for your crazy today. We've got a lot going on in our show. And even before we get to the Christian crazy, well, this is Christian crazy, but it's even crazier, crazier than normal because I'm going to give you a very short synopsis of a very crazy story that's happening within Christian culture. Okay, John Ortberg was an associate pastor at Willow Creek. Okay. John Ortberg and his wife were instrumental in uh, speaking out against Bill Hybels and his weird sexual stuff that Bill Hybels did at Willow Creek Church. So now John Ortberg has his own church, which has its own investigation. Wait, wait, wait. Investigation? No, I'm sorry. Its own second investigation. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, when, uh, yeah, John Ortberg, pastor of Menlo Church. And this is just so weird. It needs to be said, and you can dig into it if you want to, but guess what? Okay, so earlier in the year, someone anonymously came forward and said that, hey, someone else had told the pastor that he had feelings towards kids. And the pastor said, have you acted on it? And the guy said, no. All right, keep being a volunteer, said the pastor. Okay, so there was a, yeah, an investigation into it, and they found that that did happen. And then it kind of went away. But then, but then John Ortberg's transgender child, whom he is estranged from, comes out saying, hey, the person that liked little 
kids or like being around kids or is attracted to kids. Yeah, that's my brother. And it's the pastor's son. And that's the thing. So churches, secrecy, insanity, weirdness, creepiness. Uh-huh. And I'd already mentioned earlier about us being able to take stock of me contemplative because you would hope, you would hope that someone like Ortberg, who's been through craziness at Willow Creek, would would be able to like like say, oh my gosh, like there was weird sexual stuff that was happening brushed under the, the carpet over there. But over here, we're not gonna do that again. Oh, but all of this sounds like you know what it sounds like. I know what it sounds like. It sounds like the Christian crazy, the space where we skewer through with the insanity of Christianity in America in the hopes, in the hopes of being able to see what is true and good about Christianity and what is crazy and sick about Christianity. Claude Hammers, the Lord is my shepherd. He know what I want. So, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, we have a lot in Christian Crazy today, but we also have a lot of show to talk about after the Christian Crazy today. So, we are going to move through the Christian Crazy at a fair amount of warp speed today. And I do this because (laughs) there's a lot of crazy that I don't want to leave out. There's crazy that I leave out of every show. And usually that's just awful, nasty, just Christians being disgusting that he's not really fun to like make fun of. It's just kind of like, that's a horrible person and he's just terrible. But everyone, let's put our hands together because someone from the Christian crazy is back after a little bit of a health scare that was made better by drinking his silver solution formula. Jim's back and crazy as ever. And I believe the biggest reason we're having a crisis in America right now, I believe it with all my heart, this pandemic and all the other things that are happening is because we have murdered our babies mm. and we won't stop. Right. I love that Jim is back with the greatest hits that the pandemic's here because of abortion or whatever else you want to do because this is kind of televangelist mad libs. Oh my gosh, X problem is happening because of Y solution. So, yes. Oh, Jim, you're back. But you know what's even crazier about Jim being back? Is this. And I'm going to explain this to you in a very short amount of time. But this, this, this. I'm not a person who is talking about the end times. I think it's, it's, it's foolish and, and full of frivolity. But nowhere in my life did I assume that a Southern Baptist pastor would show up on a televangelist show like Jim Baker doing his same shtick there. Because at least back to the roots of American Christianity I was raised within, you had Southern Baptists. And they hate everyone that's not Southern Baptist because if you're not Southern Baptist, you're really just going to hell and they're just being nice if they're asking nice to you because they all think you're going to hell. (laughs) So a Southern Baptist dealing with a crazy, charismatic, felon, televangelist, that would be the sign of the times. Sign of the end times. Then that could never happen because someone like Robert Jeffress would never be on Jim Baker's show. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. Whoa, 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 what? Yeah, it happened. It happened. And it's real. Sorry. Mark of the Beast. End times starts right now. 
would just say to Christians watching, as you determine for whom you're going to vote, get past the personalities. Look at the platform and the policies. You know, uh, if we learned anything from Nazi Germany, we learned that... Sorry to cut him off, but he's going to say blah, blah, blah. We learned from Nazi Germany the mistakes we made in the past, and we're not going to make those mistakes again. We're going to do it better than Germany did, right? Is that what Jefferson's going to say? I'm pretty sure he's going to, because he's a hateful little man that I really wish had a tiny Hitler stash. It would go well on him. It just kind of works with his whole aura. It really fits with him. It would go beautifully with with him. He's such a cute little man. Adorable, angry little gnome. You want to see something else that's either absolutely adorable if you're a sociopath or completely frightening, disgusting, and just creepy if you're a human? <laughs> it's really that simple. A or B. We'll get into the third option later. But Lance Wallenau, who's a televangelist, is... Lance gets into this kind of a weird conversation where I kind of feel like he starts channeling Trump. He starts talking as if he's Trump. And I don't even really know what he's going after here. If maybe this is some sort of a weird cosplay role play or weird sex thing. Maybe it's all three. Maybe it's even a fourth thing added into it. But uh, who knows? There's only one thing you have to do and you'll get elected. One thing you have to talk about, one thing you have to convince people of, one thing you have to practice, and one thing you have to say and insist on ad nauseum with laser-like clarity and lava-like conviction. I am the only thing standing between the destruction of America and its survival. I alone, as president, am the one person standing up against the takeover and destruction of this nation. I'm here. I mean, I got to say, I got to say, I love this new fusion of like Christian and Hitler cosplay where you're kind of blending these two different areas in history. I mean, it's kind of like steampunk, but you're really kind of taking like, I don't know, like Nazism and blending it in with like modern day Christianity. And it just, it, you know, it fits like a glove, like a glove. And you know what else fits like a glove within Christian crazy? Anything with Rick Wiles from True News. Yeah, the news outlet with <laughs> White House credentials. Why not, Rick? Just Lynn Maxwell was grooming young girls at Mar-a-Lago. Do you know how devastating this is? Like Donald Trump didn't know it. He didn't know what was going on. He didn't know just Lynn. Yes, he knew just Lynn Maxwell. She introduced Melania. Yes, That's she right. arranged it. She arranged it. She was the matchmaker. My personal view is she brokered the sale of Melania Trump. So here's Rick Wiles. I have no idea because I literally just watched on Netflix uh, two days ago. Uh, Jeffrey Epstein, Filthy Rich on uh, Netflix. And it is a terrible, disgusting assault against pedophile Jeffrey Epstein. And Rick Wiles here is making a connection with, uh, you know, uh-huh, brokering Melania's marriage with Trump. What's going to happen, Rick Wiles? You're turning against your daddy. Oh, no. <laughs> what? So that is a lot. A lot. 
of Christian crazy. So all of that really leads me to talk about this. Um, and I, I try to, in the, in the course of like kind of making this show week after week, I try to continue to ask myself, why do I do it? And what are we trying to accomplish? Or, or what do we hope? What, what do I hope uh, for this to kind of become? And, and as, I was, as I was kind of spending like time this week, I've, um, quarantine has brought out a, <laughs> has brought out a new hmm, therapy, I guess. Uh, for me, which has become gardening. I, I I used to do it more slave labor when I was a child, but now <laughs> I'm finding the catharsis in being able to work uh, in the soil and grow with things. And and in this time, what's happened is uh, it's it's forced me more and more outside, which I think throughout most of my life has always been something that's that's usually healthy. And as I, as I begin to to constantly ask myself, like, you know, what is the purpose of what we're doing here? How is this moving forward? What is the purpose of snarky faith? And and I was I was I was pondering that. Um, and the first thing that came to mind, which which some of you may find amusing, was that you know that I like I I write this stuff. We talk about this stuff. We joke about this stuff. That on on one level, it's to be able to distract from the crappiness of life that's going on now. So some of like the silliness and the humor that we, that, 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 that I try to process through here it has to do with, yeah, with being able to create a sense of levity and snark to be able to handle and deal with the things that make us want to scream until our voices are raw. But on the other edge of that knife for why the snarky faith exists I continue to remind myself that it's really just to call people back to the simplicity of, of Christ's teachings. And one of my hopes has always been for us to be able to really just continue to refocus Christianity back to Jesus's words so that we can look at the faith through Jesus's eyes and his, and his words and be able to really just take him at his word. Because I feel like too often in in Christian culture, um, in church ministry, and, and in and around all that happens within Christendom, we have this tendency to be able to um, normalize weirdness, normalize things that probably shouldn't be normal. Uh, because ultimately, it's, it, if it's, it's always kind of felt like we're given this like safety net, but we're doing God's work here, right, people? Have some grace. We're doing God's work. Well, as much as, as I've been doing this show for many years, and for all of the mockery that has been created around the Christian crazy, I continue to go back to the fact that it really just feels warranted. Because within a lot of those attributes of Christianity we've been able to see that, that ignorance and stupidity has somehow been normalized within Christianity. We, we, we also can see other things to where, like, hatred or racism or, or misogyny have been normalized within Christianity. And also, the, one of the ones that I would say, you know, those are the real buzzwords, but some of the insidious nature of Christianity that we've normalized is... is mediocrity 
is comfort and and safety. And now when I say safety, <laughs> I think Christianity, let me preface that as well too. Uh, when I say safety, meaning I'm meaning this not from a place where uh, Christian spaces have not always been known for safety. Um, people's encounters with pastors have not always screamed safety to them, but I mean as in personal safety, whereas Christianity shall not challenge me. Whereas my own personal bubble shall not be pierced. Because in Christianity, we've normalized safety and comfort. Now, for me to say that Christianity has, has, has normalized any of these things, harm, ignorance, racism, misogyny, abuse, hate, mediocrity, comfort, safety, all these kind of things. Uh, if you were to say that that, that that thousands of years later has kind of become what has been um, eh, orthodoxy or more orthopraxy within, within Christianity, more orthopraxy, how we've walked this out. I think if you begin to look back to the Gospels of Jesus and begin to see how Jesus was very, like, frank about how others are meant to be treated. He's very frank about, about how we are called to love and, and what self-sacrifice looks like. Jesus is pretty, he, he doesn't, like, he's very clear. <laughs> Let's just go ahead and lay this out. The Gospels of Jesus, through Jesus' own words, make it a abundantly clear that love is the central tenet of the faith. So that love is the central heartbeat of the faith and of God. So, so in to follow God means I must learn to live within the rhythms of God's love. And that love informs me how to love others around me. Okay? So again, really simple. Really abundantly simple. This, this is like what I kind of wished that the back when I was a kid being stuck in church uh, in those uncomfortable pews, Sunday morning, Sunday night, oftentimes Wednesday nights as well too, hearing pastors just endlessly drone on about this, that, and the other, whereas somehow I've kind of figured that Christianity's missed the very, 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 very core nature to the heart of God. So the heart of God is love. And those that follow after God and, and, and are said to be followers of Christ that are called to bring about this kingdom unto earth here, it is understanding love, accepting love, and giving love. So, within all of this, we don't hear anything, anything about what's, what we're taking. No, no, we're giving. God gives to us. We give to others. It's, it's kind of like, it's, it's an easy flow chart because the arrows all point in one direction. God, boop, you, boop, others, right? Arrow, one direction, one direction, one direction. Sorry, not the band. But we're literally moving in one direction. Sorry, Harry Styles. But where that may seem very simple and overtly simplistic. Okay, so let's, let's, try, to, let's, 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 try, let's try to test, test this this theory. 
this idea of like audacious love out. Okay. So in, in America right now, we're dealing with issues of systemic racism, uh, historical racism. Okay, so let, 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 let's apply that to dealing with racism. Okay, so how, 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 does Jesus, how does Jesus tell us to look at others? And how does he tell us with what posture that we are supposed to engage with them? We're supposed to look at them through love because we're all created in God's image, right? And we're supposed to act in love towards them. But what else, Stuart? Nothing. So, how does Christianity help with racism? Good question, Stuart. Okay. So, in its very roots, and this is big, and this is also very tiny and stupid, this point I'm trying to make here, but I'm really just kind of stretching this out. Okay, think of here. If we could teach Christians in America to love others, okay, following with me, step one, teach Christians to love others. I'm going to go ahead and wager that, because again, as people that would say that they are Christians, they would believe in Jesus, and they, most of them in America, they're going to probably go to church or, or worship in some manner. Okay, so, so those that would, that would scribe in that camp, not talking about atheists, anybody else. No, 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 just, just those. In, if, 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 if the goal of Christianity was simply to teach people that claim to be Christians to love, I know it's a big idea, but if we could simply just teach Christians to love, and to see others through the eyes of God, we could honestly literally transform most of the race issues in our country right now. What do you mean, Stuart? But there may be people that would say they're not Christian that still hate people of different races that aren't white. Sure. But, like, hey, let's look at it like this. If the power of Jesus... And the power of Jesus being the call to love God and love others was well understood by people that show up in church on Sundays. I'm going to just go ahead and say that we would probably cut most of the racist issues we have in our country by like three quarters. And I'm not joking. Because a big problem that we have in our country with race is the religious. Mm -hmm. If I know this is anecdotal, but it's absolutely true, and it continues to be true. It's been true for the longest time in America that the most segregated time of the week is Sunday morning at church. If we could only teach the Christians to love others and not be racist, it would actually go pretty far in America to fixing our problem with race. What? That's, that's crazy, but if you really think of it, that would actually hmm, be true. Huh. Huh. Okay, why do I bring this up? Well, there was recently an article in the Christian Post. You guys know how much I love it. Christian Post. <laughs> not a daily reader. Just FYI. But this is an article called um, 
Pastor Miles McPherson speaks for the third option to fight racism. Now, Pastor Miles McPherson, he's a pastor of uh, Rock Church in California. And before I read this article, I have no knowledge of him nor his background in this. But um, for the purpose of this article, they were writing about a recent Facebook Live event where McPherson is talking about his book, The Third Option, A Hope for a Racially Divided Nation, right? Um, and so his whole purpose in healing racism, which I'm going to tell you, I think that we can kind of take some of these ideas and move them to other issues that we have that we're trying to solve too. So he was trying to say, oh, it's, it's always an us versus them approach for or against, right? Okay. Very binary. And hey, he's not wrong, but his answer, which I'm going to go ahead and say and cry BS on, okay, is the third option is finding out what we have in common with others. Now, I think he's right on a micro level. Uh, he's absolutely right on a micro level. And what do I mean by that? Well, well, if it is me, if it's me trying to befriend uh, a neighbor, if it's me trying to befriend a coworker that may believe different than me, sure, I want to be able to find what 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 are commonalities we have that may lead towards conversation? For that, great. On the macro level, on a on a throwing a a net out over kind of the larger issue that we have here, it's absolutely asinine. I agree with him because his central point is a point that I agree with. That we know this from the Bible is that being made in the image of God means I am not superior to you, you're not superior to me. And we like God, right? But the problem is this, is this. That should be easy. And I love, I love, I love, I love what he's saying. But I also feel like it's incredibly naive because of what the church in America has normalized and what it has become. The church in America in many ways is, is, is more like a poor person's version of a country club. Uh, we get to go here with people that agree with us. We get to be around other people. Uh, we get to be away from the people we don't like. We pay money into being here. We at least get to do some activities and be in air conditioning and eat food here and there with the people that are like us and still not hang around people that are not like us. So kind of country club. I mean, it's kind of like, you know, the cheap version of country club because, you know, country clubs cost a little bit of money. So McPherson is not wrong. But while I agree with his very one-on-one -on -one human approach to it, and I think he's right, the one aspect that we're missing out on is calling out what the church has been, what it has stood for, what it has normalized. Because there's no way for us to be able to move forward within the church and within Christianity until Christians are able to learn to deal collectively with our own shit and then personally with our own shit. You see, Christianity has more of a shit problem than it does a sin problem. Or at least that would be way more understandable. <laughs> if we were to preach that in church, instead of saying sin, 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 God doesn't like shit. Shit, shit, shit. God hates it. 
Doesn't like it on the carpet. God doesn't like it on your hands. Doesn't like it in your marriage. God doesn't like it anywhere. You know, if we were to switch it over and say God doesn't like shit and we were to somehow normalize that sin, yeah, it's when we treat people like shit. That'd go a lot further than sin, an abstract term that doesn't always mean things in a cultural context. Or even, I remember when my kids were funny. <laughs> my kids are funny. But when they were little, uh, they, they, they would mention this, like when they would hear pastors preach about sin, they'd be like, sin sounds like a bad word, like Voldemort. So they would talk about it, and they, they, uh, they thought it was hilarious because they would talk about it um, in reverse. So they would talk about NIS, N-I-S, instead of S-I-N. They'd be like, ooh, it's NIS. We're not supposed to talk about NIS like it was that kind of a thing. And yes, yes, yes. I think that there is some good theology behind the idea that if you can't deal with your own shit and your community can't deal with its own shit, how do we expect to deal with the world's shit? Well, shit. That's just way too logical. So, like, ultimately, on some level, like, I do, I do uh, agree with, with the pastor here talking about this idea that, that we need to be able to find a more nuanced way towards dealing with race but on some level, I also don't think it's healthy to give people a hall pass for the bad stuff that's gone on. I mean, as we've seen through through instances like the Me Too movement, or, or especially moving with, with Black Lives Matter and, 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 and people tearing down statues, I know... I know a lot of conservatives out there only get their history through statues, so this is really, really, really discouraging because statues are very, very important to conservative Christians and evangelicals because they don't read books. Or at least that's what I'm assuming because I keep hearing, but history, but history, the history that's lost. Mm-hmm. The only explanation is somehow the conservatives don't read. They just need, they're, very, they're visual learners. And they only learn through like stone and marble and bronze. I'm a very individualistic learner for me. Paper and pencil, not, no, ones and zeros, uh-uh. Only a statue learner. That's, I mean, that's who I am. Statue learner, I've always been one. I could never understand anything in school. But if you show it to me in a statue form, I'll learn it like, like that. It is like, mm, I love learning through statues. Said no one ever. Statues are weird and they are creepy. And everyone that's getting really mad that statues are being torn down are just really, really foolish and small people. Now, one of the reasons I'm talking about all this is because to get to that place where we find healing, to get to that place where we can truly see one another. See, that, that is the road, what people are talking about, towards reconciliation. That is the ultimate, like that, 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 that's how, that is the ultimate goal in being able to heal a broken relationship would be reconciliation. Now, the base level of, the, of this, you could say like, oh, I have been wronged. So if I have been wronged, I can choose to A, just forgive the person that has wronged me so I do not continue to have all that hatred and anger within me. Or if I really care to go the further step, I will try to move towards reconciliation, which begins with me saying, I have wronged you. 
Uh, you have wronged me. Let's let's set about making this situation right with both of us here together, right? That reconciliation is a beautiful process that, that it's a process that can lead to great healing. People that have wronged you being able to admit they're wrong, but also at the same time, you being able to be heard for how you felt. And then any discrepancies between those two parties, you're able to share those. And so then you're able to work back towards hopefully mending a relationship. And that is reconciliation. And reconciliation is a high bar. Now, what we are not talking about here in this road. So for us to have a third road about finding commonalities, that would assume, that would assume that both parties have done the soul work, have done like the inner work to be able to kind of figure out, hey, who am I? What do I stand for? What do I believe in? Where are my flaws? Where have I messed up? Where have I done well? Where do I need to apologize? Who do I need to react? Yeah, you, those kind of things, those, those like those deep soul works. And that makes sense in those realms. If you have two people that are really kind of wanting to work out soul stuff together, that is great. And that's when you can begin to find commonality to be able to br- grow those bridges, right? But, but see, here's how we have in Christianity normalized many things. Uh, let's just even, since I'm talking about racism, talk about racism. Okay. Example, Southern Baptist Church really has no room ever to speak about race until it owns its own shit. I mean, nobody wants an apology from someone who doesn't really mean it. One of my children, who shall not be named, but when they were very young, they had a hard time admitting fault. And as we would be like, you need to go and apologize, 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 apologize. You've done something wrong. So they would, trying to keep this very pronoun neutral, say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. So that was, that was like the, the common refrain for an apology was, I'm sorry. And it was, it was, a, it was a verbal declaration. Anyone who was viewing that or even hearing the cadence of the call, knew that, that sorry was, was, was just lip service. And I truly believe for Christianity to begin to be able to heal itself, to, to walk away from all that it's normalized, Christianity needs to learn to be able to ask for forgiveness and really open itself up to the sins of its past. Is we expect the faith, we expect the faith to be to be authentic and real. That doesn't mean that we've got like a slick uh, live stream happening on a Sunday. No, no, no. It means that 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 the goal of Christianity should be a, an authentic community of believers that want to make the world better, that want to be able to give people their personal dignity back, that want love to be the driving factor of all that they do. Not tithe, not building up a church, not building up this or getting any kind of this legislation pushed through or any of this other kind of... No, 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 no. The heart of Christianity is, is again, as I'm saying this abundantly, simply, and clearly for the past while on the show, love, 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 love. I've heard this, you know, I've heard Chris, I tell them the truth in love. 
and my love just feels like hate. It's because of their sin. No, that's because, as we've learned this hour, you are a piece of shit. So apparently this is... (laughs) Unbeknownst to me, I did not mean for this or plan for this. Uh, this has become the word of the hour. I feel like if we're on Pee Wee's Playhouse, every time you guys hear me say the word, shh, everyone needs to go, ah! But yes, if you have a problem with me using the word shit, then take it up with the Apostle Paul who used it in Philippians 3 8. Mm hmm, mm hmm, mm hmm, mm hmm. You know, in Philippians 3 8, where he is, yeah. So when Paul says about somehow like knowing, knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord is of surpassing value, but everything in the past is scublica, which means dung or what you think it means. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm being biblical today. Praise God. <laughs> That's not my point. I'm not trying to give us a license to swear on the show. What I am giving us a license to uh, within Christianity is to burn things down. I mean, I think that I think that any healthy organization or even organism has a process of dealing with refuse and waste and cleansing itself. Because guess what? For an organization, institution, or a movement, or a kingdom to move forward, right? It needs to constantly be growing, evaluating what works, what doesn't work, what is necessary for progress, and what needs to fall by the wayside. And I figure in this time, Christianity needs to call itself out. I feel like um, when I, I, I remember... But, Uh, anyone like meetings anyone like business meetings you know it's even worse when you're dealing with nonprofits and churches because it it, it, like they try to act like this is a corporate meeting but they are so much more boring and worse because if a pastor likes hearing the sound of his own voice on a sunday morning and a sunday night you know he's gonna love the sound of his own voice during a staff meeting or a volunteer meeting, or whatever kind of meetings they have here in the church. Now, now, usually during once a year, when people are trying to reflect on the status of our ministry or organization, we like to have what we call a SWOT, a SWOT analysis, S-W-O-T, strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. That's the kind of thing where you're trying to like evaluate your organization. Like, how are you moving forward? Like, are we being healthy? Are we moving in this great? You know, how, how are we trending essentially? Yes. Yes. It's one of those kind of like, Oh, Oh, like, you know, when you have little kids, you have like the healthy, the well visit every year. And I wish, I wish for our churches, we would have a well visit every year for us to be able to do this. Okay. So let's, let's just, let's take Jesus at his word. So let's go back here. Jesus said this. Let's not even get fully into the Gospels because, you know, too much theology. But, you know, what was the first things Jesus said as he began his ministry? Oh, well, Jesus did start his ministry by marching into a synagogue on the Sabbath, uh, unrolling the scroll from the prophet Isaiah, and saying this. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives 
and recovering of sight to the blind, to set liberty, to set at liberty those who are oppressed and proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Look at these words. They're beautiful words that Jesus uses on purpose, quoting from Isaiah. And this has always been one of my favorite my favorite verses because I feel like it just boils Jesus down so well. And, and I really feel like it connects the heartbeat of the Old Testament and the New Testament so well together. So let's just break some of these things down. So Jesus is saying, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. So God's spirit is here because, so God's spirit has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. We're in a time right now I know there's a lot of people poor in spirit, <laughs> poor in pocketbook, poor in health. Or good news would be something that would be like salve to a burn. Jesus then said, he sent me, God sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives. Set those who are oppressed free and recovery of sight to the blind. Jesus wants people healed and restored and to set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. What are we doing here? We're giving out good news. We're restoring dignity. We're about healing. And we're about liberty. And we're about proclaiming the Lord's favor. The Lord's favor being that for God so loved the world. Period. God so loved everyone. And in a faith that somehow has made hiding sexual sin and deviance and harm, normal. That is made rejecting science and the things we can see with our eyes. Or we've normalized ignorance. A faith that has used the Bible to justify slavery and racism. A faith that has normalized racism. A faith that has normalized abuse and hate. A faith that has worshipped capitalism and manifest destiny and mediocrity and comfort and safety. These are all things that Christianity needs to be able to repent of. They need to be named and they need to be shamed whether they are symbols of our past like statues, whether they are stances that we have taken in our church, or whether they are just a personal set of ethics that people hold against other people. Tearing things down is healthy. Digging out rot and sickness is healthy. I mentioned earlier in the hour that I'm going around doing a lot more. <laughs> and I've had, I have, I have one tree that has an issue with 
with some termites. And we have been going through this to try to treat this tree because we don't want it to die. Of cutting out rot. Of being able to trim it back. So life can happen as things move forward. And just like this tree, I sincerely believe that for the kingdom of God to be actualized, to be understood, to be seen in this time that we are in, it's going to require pain. It's going to require pruning and trimming. It's going to require loss. It's going to require admitting fault. It's going to require apologizing, admitting where we were wrong. But all of those things that keep us where we are at, whether they are ignorance or pride or fear, they all keep us in a place we are alone and we are imprisoned. And just because you hang out with a lot of other people that are alone and imprisoned in systems of ignorance and racism and hate, it doesn't give you community. You're just prisoners together. For the church, to the church, the church of those that follow after Jesus, which really only is supposed to mean the church is the community of those that love God and go out to spread that love to others. That is what church is meant to be. Not a building, not an institution, but a community. When a community truly loves those in its midst and loves those outside its midst, that is where real and true freedom abounds. We are in a time where we have significant and fabulous morons out there that refuse to wear masks because they say that masks are forms of oppression. But you know really what's a deeper form of oppression? Selfishness. Stupidity. Idiocracy. Why are they forms of oppression? Because they don't show the glory of God in humanity. They show humanity's weakness, its smallness, and its feebleness. Because if we want to change things, if we want a different world, Hell, forget even that. If any of us really just believes in what Jesus called us to believe and called us to walk out, we'd walk away from all of these things that we've normalized and say that's not okay. Sure, everyone else says it's okay, but this is not okay. That sounds like hate. It sounds like selfishness. It sounds like ignorance. That sounds like abuse. That's not what God called us to do. So what, what needs to happen? 
Well, as I've said, we need to be able to learn to call things out. We need to learn to do the hard work of being able to admit. Admit where we've, we've messed up. Admit where we haven't been loving. Admit where we haven't been like Jesus. And we can do that. That leads us to a, a more sober understanding of who we are when we look in the mirror and an understanding of how we can really truly move towards loving others in ways that aren't selfish and manipulative. The process for healing begins with the process of admitting and mourning and tearing out the roots that have been impediments towards our past. So as we end, as we end this broadcast, just a reminder that you can catch us a podcast at www.snarkyfaith.com. Uh, you can catch this episode and all past ones there as well too. Uh, but as I've been trying to do this week and, and the past few weeks, uh, as I, I'm walking through this, I'm not preaching as one that is telling you what to do. It's, I'm preaching as one that is walking through <laughs> my own junk and figuring out how I can continue to do the words of Jesus better, to embody them, to be better, and to see where I'm terrible because I want to be better. I want to be better for myself, for my family, and for those around me. And I also want to be better because I'm just, I don't want to be part of something that is absolute hypocrisy. And that uses and abuses the name of Jesus, but is hollow and empty. And as we've been doing over these past few weeks, um, I've been sending you off here from our show uh, with a bit of pop liturgy. And this one is a little different than we've done in the past because this week our pop liturgy comes from Ben Harper. And it comes in the form of a simple song, Reason to Mourn. And I feel like we are at a place and I feel like we have a reason to mourn because we need to learn and we need to mourn and burn off so we can move forward and be better. So here's your pop liturgy of the week. I can't know the hell you love. But I know you've had enough. Some baptized in water. Some in flames. What has life done to you? All you ever wanted was someone to run to you. There's more to life than what makes you cry. Don't you give me a reason to mourn. Look into my eyes with all your hate and scorn. I'll remove the crown of sorrow, which you have been adorned. But don't you give me a reason to mourn. So go out into the world this week. The holiest amount of grace and snark and peace. Make a difference in your own space. And make that difference even so smallly in the spaces that you occupy with others. I'm out of here. I'll catch you guys again next week. Peace! Peace.